0: So today we welcome back Gregor Maile on Keen on Yoga podcast. Second time, Gregor is a profound thinker and prolific writer on all things yoga. And amongst many other books, he's the hugely popular author of the practice manuals of the primary and intermediate series. Today, however, we are here to discuss the meaning of devotion in practice in relation to his most recent book, How to Find Your Life's Divine Purpose. So to this end, we talk about the alternatives to the current polarization of either a kind of outmoded traditional notion of a rather condemnatory, judo-Christian God in the sky, or the utter materialism proposed by our current science. So is there another paradigm? Instead, Gregor talks about the miracle of nature and how to use formal practices to open up a space over and above our own conceptions and personal goals, which are often materially based. So in this we discuss his incredibly enlightening division of the three aspects of the divine, the transcendent, the imminent and the divine child, which is an interesting idea how he phrases that. And how we might use these models to open up our practices towards sharing ourselves with life as opposed to, as he puts it, his words, residing in a rather shabby state of a samadhi on top of our own mountain. So how, how to use these practices that we're doing for life as opposed for life. Ourselves, and our divine purpose can be nothing other other than than giving the gift of ourselves to living, and to life. Something we can use in a skillful practice of the application of yoga. Anyway, welcome again, Gregor, to the Kino Yoga podcast. So, welcome, Gregor Maley to uh, Kino Yoga Yoga Chats.
1: Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, it's
0: lovely to see you again. And um, this day, we're going to talk about uh, Gregor's book, particularly uh, Finding, I think, is it Finding Your Divine Purpose? Something along those yeah. lines, isn't it? Find um, Find Your Life's
1: Divine Purpose. How to Find, find Your purpose. Life's Divine how Purpose. How to write,
0: okay. So the book and also aspects of, devo- although we're very kind of skeptical these days to, to talk about devotion, or they're very unpopular, these words, devotion, sacrifice, um, you know, how to, how to also kind of, Look towards these notions within practice to towards the facilitating you know a, a deeper delve yeah. into ourselves, as it were. So um, you know, they're definitely there. There's a lot of bhakti involved in uh, the yoga tradition, but yet how does that relate to the practice that we're doing? You know, and how also I'd be interested to know your notions, Gregor, as to how bhakti might relate to even modern modern postural yoga, like you know, uh, you know how hmm. if you can find yes. any kind of linkage there. Anyway, Oh heaps, heaps,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know, um, the most important aspect of bhakti is is what are you devoted to? Yeah, of course, if we ask somebody to um, to devote themselves to a concept of the divine, which even if they Make best efforts, ultimately, it alienates them. yeah, and for me personally, any aspect of the divine that is anthropomorphic that is having human characteristics, I find totally alienating. I can't commit to that and and that is simply because I think for a um, let's just say, for somebody who has a slightly intellectual psychological uh, philosophical connotation orientation it's absolutely clear that a an anthropomorphic divine one that has has human characteristics is nothing but an extrapolation of a human psyche into the sky yeah so in other words you're hoping that there's a big papa or a big mama um, that fixes your problems, you know. And 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 obviously, if you look at the entire universe, you know. Now, since we have science and we know about galaxies and black holes, and we know about relativity and quantum mechanics, you just can't get any more to um, that. The divine is a human being, you know. That's just there is an offensiveness. In it, and the offensiveness (laughs) comes from speciesism. Yes, speciesism.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: speciesism. And so speciesism is the belief that our species somehow is better, superior. You know, like why wouldn't it be a deer or a microbe? You know, like or a whale? You know, why would it be a human being? And you know, if
0: we don't manage to blow up, it's ironic as well.
1: Yeah. And if we don't manage to, to blow up this planet and hopefully life continues on, there will be more advanced species than us. Why wouldn't it be one of them who is the divine? Why a human being? It's so obviously a minute point in the history of life, it can't be a human being.
0: Hmm. It's funny, um, I mean, because actually, Krishna says in the Gita, doesn't he? Well, it's easy to worship me with form. Because you know, you can work. I think I can't remember the chapter exactly. He said, it. But "Those can, you know, those can worship without form. You know, but it's actually easier actually to, with name and form, to to grasp my essence, right? I mean, and you know, definitely we look at if we look at them, you know, the main text that we often refer to when we're talking about Bhakti, and, and you know, we're talking about the Gita, and uh, and in there is there's definitely a yeah, as we were talking before we started, an anthropomorphized, albeit in an exotic form with krishna there as you know as the charioteer this time as as uh, and uh, you know we're encouraged you know and junior is very much encouraged to have a personal relationship with this with this individual
1: and and i think that's totally fine if we do that but we need to know that that um anthropomorphic representation of the divine is nothing but an icon a placeholder yeah so let's say if you, if you have an, an icon in your applications folder, yeah, on your computer and you, you sort of go get info, you see that the icon is maybe, let's say 35 mm, kilobyte. It's nothing. Whereas the application that you open may have two gigabyte. Yeah. So there is a difference between the icon that you click on. And the application that opens, and the application is to the magnitude of a million bigger than the icon. The icon doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. So similarly, you um to, to choose a representation of the divine just means an icon that I click on to access the divine. I must know that that is not the divine. Because if I don't know that, then uh, automatically who doesn't worship exactly the same icon in my eyes will be a pagan or an infidel yeah mm, 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 mm. Yeah? yeah so yeah. you know because we have now we live now in a global village if i have a form if I practice a form of devotion bhakti it must automatically allow me to develop a curiosity to which forms of worship forms of worship of of other people yeah, And so this is given if I realize that we all worship the same divine, we just access it through different icons. Yeah, So I also use um, anthropomorphic representation, representations of the divine, but I always tell myself, remember, this is not the true divine. It's just, for me, an access gate, you know?
0: Mm, mm, mm. and even the teaching mean, it was often said you know take the guru you know the teacher as a representative of the divine as well I mean how does how does it look I mean just kind of speeding on how does that look in terms of practice in terms of relating one's own physical practice even to some aspect of devotion running through it.
1: okay look I mean practically speaking I never do my asana practice without having a divine image Standing in front of me, you know. Maybe That's if I was thinking. practicing yes. in, a, in a group, yeah, I I wouldn't do that because I would feel a bit coy, you know. It's like I have some quite bizarre-looking Hindu images, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, maybe I wouldn't do it if I would, was practicing in a yoga shala. But apart from that, I always have them in front of me, yeah, and it always remembers reminds me the reason why I'm doing my practice. Is because, um, you know, I want to, uh, you know, surrender to the divine, offer myself as a conduit, as a canal to, to the divine, for the divine. That's why I'm doing my practice. I find it particularly important when I do pranayama and meditation practice. Yeah. But also in my asana practice, I have it always there. When I do breath retentions, you know, I will always actually do Trataka on, on the divine image yeah and and that sort of since i do that i i stay in a, a sattvic state yeah so it, i never go into this dull tamasic state in in my kumbhakas since i do actually trataka on a divine image nevertheless nevertheless i always tell myself this is just the placeholder what i'm looking at this is not the 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 the, the true divine i just use that because of um, it's too difficult for me to keep sight of what the divine
0: really is. Mm, mm, mm. How does that relate to devotion in terms of bhakti or this idea of love? I mean, because it's easy to I kind of easy to sidestep the whole issue and say, well, what Christian says, devote to me, focus on me. You know, we can call that one-pointed attention, can't we? We can call that ikarvitar and Kind of sidestep the whole issue of giving ourselves away, and you know, and the kind of you know, and, and the kind of a- aspects of devotion that we maybe are uncomfortable with through Western theology and past history. Right? I mean, does it just mean concentration when we're saying devotion, or are we talking about something else that's coming from? Uh, yes. In,
1: so I, I okay. think that yeah. there is a very very important um, surrender aspect. You know, like for example, when we look at the Yoga Sutra, Ishvara Pranidhana. That is surrendering to the divine. Yeah. But what it means really is that um, at some point in my meditation, I'm actually trying to figure out what it is that the divine wants me to do. Yeah. You know, for example, you know, in the Gita, it's quite obvious that Krishna wants Arjuna to fight, to restore dharma in the world, that is righteousness, right action, because he's in a Situation where, let's say, dark forces are trying to take over the world, so he needs to step up and 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 stand up for dharma, that is right action. Yeah, so that's a typical scenario um, in w- what the divine would want us to do. Yeah, but for each individual, see the way I, how I see it, and and I've written that in my book about. The Monte Carlo generator. Each individual, each um, being, is let's say a permutation, a path of the divine. Yeah. So the reason why each individual being is here, and that is from the greatest genius to the to the most insignificant um, um, protozoa, like a single cell organism. Yeah, microbe. I mean. Um, each one has is representing an aspect of the divine, yeah? And so the more conscious or expanded a being becomes, the more you can tune in and co-create with the divine that aspect of the divine that you are here to express, yeah? So, so f- f- for me, I mean, I'm practicing that for a while now. I'm practicing yoga sort of almost half a century now. Um, This, what what would you have me do becomes more and more important, you know? Like I have a formal practice early in the morning where I start, okay, I dedicate this day to you, yeah? What do you actually want me to do? And, you know, while this sounds funny, it makes the day so much more thrilling. Yeah? There, is a, there is a passage in the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavata Purana, where Krishna says, there is no greater thrill for me to, um, to see the devotee realizing me. I cannot but rush to that point to embrace the, the devotee. So the thing is, the in in most interesting or a very interesting aspect of the divine is that it is cosmic intelligence. Yeah. So the way how I look at the divine, I I don't want to emphasize that too much, but you could imagine that it would be a super intelligent software onto which the entire universe is written. Yeah, and it uses the sum total of parallel universes as its hardware. All matter, it uses all matter as its hardware. Now, it doesn't work. It does. This metaphor goes only up to a particular point, because the divine is also self-aware and self-conscious. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is capable of imparting instruction yeah so you know when you see people who are really inspired like for example the gita or when you look at the bible or when you look at people like um, albert einstein or nelson mandela or you know mozart you realize that there was a moment in their life when they just opened themselves to something much much greater than themselves and where this power came down that's the point that i'm interested in you know and so you you can sort of realize when you really open yourself yeah you sort of feel that your hair is, starts to stand yeah there's sort of a certain electricity say, how yeah
0: how do you how do you frame it the the opening mm. i mean you know when you say yeah, to well, open yourself and the rest of the day to to you know to kind of be a conduit and receive i mean yeah how, do, how does that actually happen right Getting out of the way, as it were.
1: You mean how how, how does one get there? Yeah, like what does that feel like? It's I mean, still, it's, sake, still, your, it's your- still. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, how it feels is there is a moment of, um, I would call it being in the zone. Yeah, and it's often described as being in the zone is a terminology used by. Um, Often musicians or sports people yeah and you know i have a friend who used to be uh, uh american football player yeah and he he uh, he had this moment when his team was way but ba- way back and, and way down and then suddenly he realized that something was entering him and uh he could see into the future. He knew where the ball would be, and he ran, and he basically scored one goal after another. And after the game, and won the, the, the game for his team, and after the game, the big teams were lining up and trying to contract him, but he couldn't play anymore because he was so shocked by that experience. Yeah, he He was a materialistic person up to that, but in that moment, he realized that, the, that, that God has, had used him to play American football, yeah? And he was like, how, how can that be, yeah? And so he went then on a lifelong spiritual search and eventually became and wound up as a Sufi sheikh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, you know, he it, that sort of really knocked him out of his career. You know, he was this big, bulky American guy. And now he is like devotional Sufi chanting and et cetera.
0: <laughs> Rose, so, I think know, it's inter- also nice to reiterate the point that the. The point is not the action itself it's the, the attitude towards the action right so the american football you know doesn't really matter inherently necessarily as in you know in terms of a purposeful thing in life but it's his relation to god within whatever he's doing which i think kind of iterates the dharmic aspect of the Gita gitavari well, like, it doesn't really matter what your dharma is even if it's you know as arjunas is to kill people the point is that relation with God through whatever you're doing, whatever actually is that you're engaged in, whatever yes. you find yourself doing.
1: Yeah. And and that's one thing that is really important. So what I'm talking about is essentially Swadharma, that is your own dharma. Yeah. And your your that's the term that Krishna used uses in in the Gita, where he says, um, Better your own dharma, your Dharma, done in a faulty fashion than somebody else's really well. Yeah, This is really important. And you are the only person that can really figure out and can feel what is your dharma, yeah, your Dharma. because the divine wants to only impart it to you and experience it through you. That's why you are here. So don't let anybody tell you, God doesn't want to play American football. That's out. That's, you got to do something else. Because nobody, know, nobody else can know what the divine wants to do through you. It can only be known through you. There is a special frequency that each being has with the divine.
0: Yes, that's, exa- that's the kind of point I wanted, I think, to clarify with you. Because it's exactly correct. When you talk about divine purpose, it's not like, well, my purpose has to be equal in fashion to Nelson Mandela's, it's like, whatever your thing is, that is a valid expression of you, you know, and I think that's, you know, an, an important uh, understanding to have when we're talking about divine purpose, but you also talk about form, uh, formal practice, and, you know, in this current age, right, there's this, especially with Neo-Advaita, there's this idea that, you know, nothing is necessary, right, you know, a kind of misappropriation of Advaita terms that you can kind of like, you know, like you say, like, just kind of wait, and, um, and something will come through you. But um, you know, you have very much, and throughout your life, have embraced formal practice. You talk in your book about formal practice being necessary, and then a kind of watching and awaiting, or, or allowing something to come through. How do the two, uh, how do the two kind of things kind of meet meet in the middle?
1: Okay, so when you look at at the taitteri or Panishad, there is this so-called Panchakosha teaching, which is the teaching of the five layers. Yeah, which is one of the most important passages in yoga. And in, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, he says in the Sutra one thirty one that the obstacles um, of yoga um, express themselves uh, um, in body, breath, and mind. Yeah. So he says, uh, as anxiety and depression in the mind as a fidgety body and an unsteady breathing pattern yeah so that's impo- really important yeah and when you look at you know modern psychology something like bessel van der kolk's um, uh, the body knows knows the score is it that's the title of the book keeps the score keeps the score. keeps the score keeps the score. body keeps the score and <laughs> the body keeps the score thank you and um, there is very much the idea that you know, if you have a traumatic experience or any type of experience, it seeds simultaneously into body, breath, and mind. Yeah? So that means if you want to, let's say, let go of your past or get rid of your past traumas, uh, limitations, you need to work simultaneously on body, breath, and mind. What I'm talking about is asana pranayama yogic meditation because asana is the technique to cleanse conditioning out of your body pranayama to do it out of the breath strata, um, and and yogi meditation releases conditioning from from the mind. So then when you do those three things, you have done it to a certain extent, things suddenly become possible. Now what exactly becomes possible is that you find that under body, breath, and mind, there are two deeper, le, uh, two deeper stratas, which in the Upanishad are called Vijnanamaya Kosha and Anandamaya Kosha. That is, let's say, deep knowledge sheath or super knowledge sheath and ecstasy sheath. Yeah? And in the Yoga Sutra, Patanjali calls them objective and objectless samadhi. Yeah? Now, unfortunately, in, in modern spirituality, Unfortunately, in modern spirituality, um, there is only this focus on objectless samadhi. That is, we only are to um, to meditate on on consciousness, awareness, on the formless absolute. Yeah, but it's very interesting because if you look, if if you go, let's say, for a second into tantrism, that's actually the male aspect of spirituality. That stands for Shiva. Yeah and if you look at Shiva it's sort of it's a male deity that sits motionless on Mount Kailash in minus 50 degrees and he, he doesn't do anything yeah whereas it's actually the female aspect of the divine Shakti who rolls out and maintains this entire creation and it's her who engages in the divine play in the lila yeah but similarly to to, to the Abrahamic religions where we have, you know, for example, in Catholicism, we have uh, the Father and the Holy Ghost and, 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 and the Son, and they're all three main Yeah, yeah. But similarly, in, in Indian spirituality, it's and, – and, and they stand for a solid-state spirituality, yeah, which is very similar to Indian spirituality where you have Shiva – or also Rama, there's sort of these immovable characters, yeah, similarly to consciousness is also immutable, yeah, but if you look at the world, yeah, if you look at all bodies, if you look at the universe, the the way how galaxies move, and the way how what DNA does, how dynamically evolution is happening, and uh, at everything what Shakti does, it's actually a dynamic play. And that's where I want to bring Alfred North Whitehead in, who, whose work was basically um, dedicated to um, showing that God is a process, that God is not a solid state. Yeah? Now, there is two aspects to the divine which we call God transcendent and God immanent. In India, they're called Shiva and Shakti. Now, the the um, the solid-state spirituality that is Shiva—it's pure consciousness—and yeah, it's this immutable, eternal, infinite awareness. Yeah, there's a second aspect of the divine which we have lost. Yeah, and that is the the so-called God Immanent. It's feminine spirituality. It's process spirituality. It's that God is not a noun, but God is a verb. It's an ongoing process. She is eternally rolling out the universe, and the universe is not a solid state, Yeah, but it's actually like a dynamic evolution, and it's not wrong to participate in it. In fact, she wants you to participate in it, and you have a particular... Um, role to play in this game, in this in this leela, in this play, yeah. Now, you know the 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 bhakti, the devotion, is actually a form of playful interaction with the divine mother. I would say, yeah, um, to actually find out what does she want you to do, what what is your role in the play, yeah. And because she is a process, she is not a solid state, it's actually not f- finally determined. There are certain nature gifts, you know, which she has given Mozart the divine ear. Yeah, She has given Martin Luther King the ability to be an, an eloquent speaker. But everybody has a different gift. Yeah? So the question is, can you actually take that gift and turn it into something? Yeah? And when you do that, she's looking over the, over your shoulder and she says, yeah, go for it. What can you actually do with it? She's actually thrilled to see how far you can go with it. Yeah. And because she is a process, she's not a solid state. She doesn't actually know exactly how far you're going to take it. And then comes the thrill, you know, when you feel like the hair is standing because she's watching you and, and it's actually like, she may be amazed how far you go with it.
0: So I suppose I mean what you're saying is much more of a tantric approach to yoga rather than an aesthetic one. An aesthetic one drawing back from, from nature and the world and saying, well, you know, the goo- is the gunas and the, the problem is the gunas and everything is impure and what we want to do is kind of in a platonic way withdraw ourselves from that and rather say, well, you know, the, the, you know, the material nature and very much in your book you talk very eloquently about science and, and homeostasis and scientific processes being very much a, a kind of interplay of divine purpose and relation. Right? I mean, this this, cur- this current idea of materialism as well creeping in that, that everything is random. And I think you you speak very well in saying how, you know, how can it be random? If This, you know, 0.11 degree of change in the temperature, then you wouldn't have these beings, right? You know, that everything has a very, very developed and subtle consciousness behind it, right? But on the other hand, I mean, I think we can easily... Take this as a kind of injunction just to go back into the world and just to, you know, just, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope of how to keep ourselves, you know, in a a reflective state as as well as interacting with the divine play. Because, you know, I was doing very nicely divine play in my twenties, you know, like drinking and partying and, you know, and interacting with the world. And how does that, how does that differ? How does that differ from the kind of divine play that you're talking about, right? Where we're interacting with nature in a kind of different manner?
1: Yes, and so I admit that it is um it is it's not it's not easy, yeah, so it's not like um oh, yeah, you just um follow the whims of your mind, that's the trap, you know, so you know it, it's certainly um you need to differentiate between fulfilling the will of the divine, which is um, there is, you know, you can say it's the voice of the heart. Yeah. what, what is the, what is the voice of the divine? It's the voice of the heart. You can say it's the voice of stillness because there is no ego within it. Yeah. And um, obviously, it's it, it's um, there is a being in the zone like character, quality attached to it. And there is a quality attached to it in which there is no um, in which there is absence of internal dialogue. Yeah. So there is not this voice saying, Am I really doing it? Maybe I shouldn't be doing it, maybe I should be doing something
0: yeah, else. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. On the other hand, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so because you know, the question is that one needs to ask oneself is, Am I doing my Swadharma or am I doing somebody
0: else's? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's a yeah. the 1000000 of the question really isn't
1: important. it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. And then the other thing is, you know, it must be in alignment with universal dharma. Yeah. So, it, it must be constructive, that's what I'm saying, because what the Divine Mother does is, is obviously constructive. For example, you know, you can see that as soon as life started on the planet, biodiversity grew, 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 grew. So it can't be something in which we are destructive towards life in general.
0: Yes, there's some, there's some kind of relation to looking to the outside as well. It's not just simply a look within. It's right, it's relating one what, what inner process to some some outer process, right? In in a, a const- I mean. But also constructive is a kind of ambiguous term because many people can see constructive in different ways, right? Like, how, yeah, how do you how do you know whether what you're doing is is furthering the life force or somehow diminishing it? Even if you you know, because you may feel like you're furthering. I'm sure that certain people drilling for, for oil in um you know the Middle East feel that like they're furthering the you know <laughs> the uh, you know the force of life in the world, right? You know, I mean, you know, it's uh, but I can see that there's some kind of relation between one's inner process to the outer one, which is again is um, not immediately yogic. Right? I mean, it's uh, it's you know the precedent is generally withdraw or or you know neti neti, you know, kind of step back and and uh, you know and put push away the, uh, the you know the outer world as false as untrue.
1: Yes, I um, look. I have come to the conclusion that. Look, there is a there is a term. It's called um, sky religion, and it's it's uh, opposed to the term earth based spirituality. Yeah, and you know, in sky religion, the goal of um, spirituality is either put into heaven, yeah, where it's, where it's ruled by a male god or even further away into nirvana or emptiness and nothingness. And when you look at historically how these um, um, religions developed, they developed as a a tool of coercion and domination with an attempt to destroy earth-based spirituality, uh, indigenous spirituality, and, and often spirituality in which um matter the body and the f- and the the female yeah played a large role yeah and so suddenly we have a spirituality in which um matter in which the body is seen as an obstacle the material world is seen as an obstacle and and woman is seen as an obstacle yeah and so the the male um, sadhaka um, has to be careful that uh, he's not um, how is it called um, contaminated by women. You know this this whole um, th- there is of course a very powerful political agenda behind it, yeah, which sort of like comes together with patriarchal society. Um, stratification of society and development of standing armies development of agriculture etc yeah so i would question i would question all of that i would think that all of this so called uh, ascetic um, um sky spirituality has actually ultimately um motives which come from domination, coercion, mm. political rule really.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean I think it's
1: cl- because spirituality because spirituality is here right now there is no there is no dichotomy between look matter is crystallized spirit that's what I what I want to say there is no unspiritual matter all matter is divine every um s- spot on the surface of this planet is a sacred site yeah and the divine is in every being there is no dichotomy between those two things i know in the last few thousand years they try to explain to us that spirituality is one thing and uh, and, and and material life is another they're bo- they're both the same
0: yeah i mean i think that as again when we before we were talking we have currently find ourselves within the two polarities of either having god in the sky and utter um, subservience to a higher power and worship out there as we knew in our old faiths or now rampant materialism where nothing means anything and it's all a you know completely random occurrence out of a big bang right and uh, you know and consciousness doesn't mean anything it just happened out of a bunch of chemicals coming together you know and i mean i think what you're doing is somehow trying to kind of make a bridge between the two things right you know so you don't need to worship someone in the sky with a beard, but nevertheless, there's something, there's you know, some kind of telos, there's some kind of design in what we're living now, right? And you know, and but how does that? Again- yes,
1: and, and you know, um, look look in, in many ways, the sort of spirituality that I'm I'm uh, I'm suggesting is is very similar to indigenous earth based spirituality. Yeah. Um, in indigenous spirituality, <clears throat> the divine is not somewhere else; it is here. Yeah, and there is, and and you cannot kind of come close to the divine without acting in in a let's say in a, in a sacred way. Yeah. So, as an indigenous person, you are almost automatically, <clears throat> let's say, let's let's just say, a sacred warrior yeah with the aim to restore balance in the world in a similar way in which you know like a wolf as a top predator would restore balance in a particular biotope yeah and and the the way how life plays out, that is the divine. There is no dichotomy between the two, you know? You don't need to go to heaven or into nirvana to seek divine, the divine there. The divine is here right now, yeah? And the way how you act in this world, that matters, yeah? Because there is nothing but God. That's That's probably the important message that I want to give, yeah? That there is nothing but God, so everything that you see in front of you, this computer screen, you know all matter, there is no atom, there is no atom that is not God, you know the entire material universe is the crystallized body of God, so when you step on the floor, you're stepping on God, when you're breathing air, you're breathing the divine, yeah, in every other being, you see the divine looking out of the eyes of that being at you. yeah. So in some ways, and that's why it's so hard to understand Alf- Alfred North Whitehead, is because he had to, in order to explain process, that the divine is a process, he had to redefine all words that he's using because it's very strange the way how we have this idea of spirituality today. It's really, really strange. If you were an extraterrestrial and you would come to Earth and you would think, "What are they thinking?" <laughs> there's two options as you say. Yeah. One is that it... there's only matter and there's no the di- not, there's not the divine. and the other option is that the divine is a guy that is living somewhere up there, or it's emptiness, nothingness that is nowhere this is just so bizarre because the, the two are the same, yeah? That means um, con- matter is the crystallized strata of, of, of pure consciousness, yeah?
0: Yeah, I think the thing is, it's not always easy to recognize that you're stepping yeah. on the floor and you're stepping on the divine, and, you know, and so on a practical level, you know, going back to more practical ideas and your ideas are formal practice, um, you know, how? what recommendations have you got for people to come into a different kind of relationship with with themselves as a part of the divine, you talk a lot about self love in, in in your work, right? And what that means. And you also talk about as indigenous practices such as the walkabout, the uh, Aboriginal idea of walkabout, which is which is a, a dynamic interaction with the earth, and uh, you know, a, and it's an active process of listening and watching and relation with the external world, which is. Not so much found in in necessarily in someone practicing modern postural yoga asana based practice in an enclosed room on their own. <laughs> mm. uh,
1: but look, if you if you look at the at the uh, um, tattvarya so you have those five layers, yeah, of which you got the the body. So we do asana for that, and then we do pranayama for the pranic strata, and we do yogi meditation for the Uh, for the mental strata, and then we have this anandamaya kosha, this objectless samadhi that is samadhi on pure consciousness, um, which is the last layer, but what is that? The maya kosha, yeah? And when you look into the Gita, Krishna, I think, mentions, I think he mentions the term vignana six times, yeah? That vignana is God-realization, yeah? And when he says God-realization, what he means with that is the immanent aspect of the divine. Because he wants to get Arjuna to not go into a cave and on a mountaintop and to drop out of life. No, he said, you stay here in society and you do your duty. yeah, But don't do it for yourself, but you do it for me. yeah. So th- this is 100% what I'm saying. Yeah, The thing only is, we came to think of God as something that is somewhere else, which is not true, because this material universe is the crystallized body of God. So vijnana vignana means to recognize the material world as the crystallized body of God, and then to find out what does the divine want me to do in this world, Yeah. And then hopefully we come to some um, insights that the divine wants to do uh, some wants wants to do, do us to do something constructive, something that adds to the life of other life forms, makes their life better. Which again brings me to the point, you know, if my practice is mere asceticism, yeah, mere sitting in a cave meditating on the formless absolute, or let me sit in a penthouse meditating on the formless absolute. What, what do I give to others? Nothing. Yeah. What, what Vignanamaya Kosha does, uh, what, what it means is to feel what your nature gifts are and then to use them to give to other beings. Yeah? And then you come into this amazing state where you realize ultimately what matters is for me to give my life from a position of giving, that is making a contribution to the life of others. In what way? That is for you to find out. Yeah. But ultimately this is what it, what it is. Spirituality is not sitting alone by yourself. I mean, you, look, I, I'm practicing about... Four and a half hours a day, so I do a fair amount of 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 sitting, yeah, uh, and and doing my asana practice, etc. So I do that too, but then hopefully after that time, I've come to a conclusion. Okay, this is what what I want to give to the world. Yeah, in my case, I, I'm spending several hours a day reading, teaching online, of course, you know, and and now slowly starting traveling, meeting my students in person, but also synthesizing what I read in sacred scripture and science, I'm reading science as well, to synthesize that in, into a new worldview in which um, spirituality and science are one thing. yeah, and, and using that to empower us to have an informed and healing impact on the world where we can actually give, yeah? And then you realize, well, you know, I don't actually need to take so much for myself, yeah? It doesn't really matter whether I have a million or two and how many cars do I need and how fat does my house have to be and where you realize what really makes me happy is actually to give to others, yeah? To make a contribution. And I think this is also when you finally breathe your last breath. I think what stays... Is what you have given to others not what you have taken or what you have received but what stays what matters in that moment is what what you have actually given to others that that enables you to die with a feeling of fulfillment and gratitude
0: i think it's yeah i, I totally agree i think it's definitely a a reassessment of a practice which was for personal liberation, and you know, slightly more perhaps along, you know, to use another term, slightly along more Buddhist lines, that one has an obligation for compassion and for service and for qualities in the world, for for using a practice out for, for something out there and to give and to make a contribution. Or you know, as what we see a lot in the scriptures is you, you a kind of more up and out mentality of you use your practice simply to escape and like simply to get yourself out of the shit you find yourself in, right? Rather than from what I understand and what you're saying is that we have this obligation after having practiced to use that practice for the world, right? To make a contribution in the world for the best.
1: Yes, Because because absolutely, because the thing is, you know, so I spend a real lot of time in my life doing practices, yeah, and when I sort of came out of that and and um, managed to stay uh, in, in expanded consciousness, I suddenly realized how much pain and how much need there is in the world. Yeah. So, ironically, I do live on a mountaintop. So I withdrew on a mountaintop, and so then I was sitting on that mountaintop in samadhi, and I realized. I'm needed in the world, you know, like I need to I need to go out and and give. Yeah. I mean, if I think it would be a sad state of affairs when you would have practiced for decades mystical techniques, and then you sort of sit gloating there in your in your shabby own little samadhi while the whole world is going bonkers. I mean, you know, honestly. I think the world is pretty crazy. You know, if you read the news and you, you you notice what's going on, the amount of suffering. So I think it's really important that people who do have a strong spiritual practice and who do have strong spiritual insights, that they go out in the world and leave their mark and teach and give other people and heal. We need those people. We can't afford, that they go off and and disappear into some caves and then into Nirvana. I I can guarantee you if we do that, humanity will go down the (laughs) gardla. And if you look like in in if you look into scripture, you know, when if you look at the myth of Lord Shiva, yeah this is all what happened to Lord Shiva, you know, where where, where karma came and shot him with the feathered arrow and then he fell in love with Parvati, you know. It was all about getting the yogi, getting the mystic back into society. Yeah, I'm, I'm referring to the death of Sati, yeah, and then the story of... Uh, so, the, the mystic... The, the mystic needs to come back into society because it's through mystical states that there is innovation. Yeah, So when the mystic leaves, and when they all go into their caves and meditate themselves into nirvana and pop off, uh, society will become encrusted and there will be no more I- innovation, no more novelty.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was gonna say, we find the same with Jesus, right? When he's, he's taken by the devil, by Satan, and he's taken up, I think, Mount Sinai, and he's helped, you know, and he's kind of taken up high, and he said, you can have, look at all this, you can have whatever you want, but, you know, like, I can grant you whatever you want, but, you know, like, and then he comes back down after this, the time in the desert, right? And after being tempted by Satan and that last, and he comes back down and does that work, you know, and and sacrifices himself for, for, you know, the same kind of myth is found. I mean, what I wanted to say finally is, okay, we've talked about devotion, talked about giving oneself, to towards for the sake of others. What I mean, you mentioned self-love in your book, and I mentioned it earlier in the question slightly, and we didn't fully fully expand on that. I mean, would you just like to say what that means outside uh pampering yourself in a spa. You know, I mean like what what you know a, a deeper self-love in terms of your own practice mm. might might yeah. look like. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so um okay. Um I think that all of this Pampering, like when p- this, these slogans, you know, show that you love yourself yeah, yeah, by yeah, yeah. this and this yeah, and this. Yeah, that's right. But you know what, I found is that when you sit in complete self-love and self-acceptance, you actually realize that you need absolutely nothing. Yeah. And to to sit in 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 self love is actually a profound spiritual state yeah and it it cannot be experienced in a state in which there is ego yeah i actually believe that it is lack of self love that gets us to act competitive and egoistically and gets us to say i want to have more for myself because i don't love him because I don't love myself, yeah? So it's the other way around. It's not you can't prove yourself that you love yourself by giving you yourself diamonds, gold, real estate, whatever, you know? No, 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 that's not how it works. In fact, when you allow, it's a heart state, yeah? When you allow yourself to go into the heart and to actually feel that the divine experiences not, nothing but total love for you, Yeah, in that moment you can accept that, because the question is, if the divine can love me in total perfection, why cannot I? Yeah, And of course, the answer is, because I ex- experienced some negative things in the past that made me question my self-worth and my, my value, yeah? And the healing for that is to actually experience that the divine accepts and loves you with total perfection, without holding back. Because the divine can see you in your perfection because you're a child of the divine yeah, and you carry God in your heart. As Krishna says in the Gita, um, I'm the self in the heart of all beings. When you can see yourself in that, yeah, this healing takes place where then you don't need to, I need to snatch this and this and this away from other beings to become whole because you realize you're whole already. Yeah, And then when you have accepted that state within you, hopefully then you can go out into the world and become an agent for healing, for healing other beings as well. So self-love is a profound spiritual
0: state. Is that what you mean by the divine child? You talk about the divine child because in, in you, you say there's transcendence, you've got the imminent, and you've got the third manifestation of God, yes. consciousness, is the divine child. That's right. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we are all children of the divine, but you can also say that collectively we are all life forms, not just human beings. Microbes, as well, yeah. All of the animals, all of the plants, life actually is the divine son or the child of the divine, yeah, collectively. And so that's where a completely new out of that comes a completely new ecology. So it's not just human beings, it's not just males, yeah, but it's life that is the child of the divine, yeah. And so then you suddenly realize, well, you know. I need to extend this love also to animals, to trees, to microbes, etc, you know and I need to be an agent in the world that allows them to coexist with us too. They need to have their space too. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. As you mentioned, the speciesism is uh, unfortunately rampant, and uh, yeah, not doing a very good job of our um, <laughs> our perceived uh, preeminence here. Um, well, I suppose that's a good place to <laughs> good place and uh, yeah, I mean we could probably talk maybe and we do another one we we'll talk about Gaia, I'm sure you but you know, Gaia uh, philosophy. I'm sure we could relate what you're saying a lot to, to ideas of Gaia philosophy, right? And uh, eco spirituality. Um, yeah, yeah. It yeah, is
1: yeah. it is an expression of the divine mother. Mm, yes, of yeah, course.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us today, <laughs> again. Um, that was a wonderful chat. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having Thank me. You. That was great, Adam. Nice Thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Namaste.